We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 110th episode of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. I am a writer for Cheesehead TV, an analyst for Green Bay Nation, and of course, you can always follow me on Twitter at Scani Sports. Today, we're going to be talking primarily about the Packers' 31-12 victory at home against the Miami Dolphins, and joining me today, kind of as usual, is another very special guest. Uh, my guest today is a writer for SB Nation, for Pro Football Weekly, as well as for Uproxx. He is the host of our rival show, the Locked On Packers podcast. Uh, we are, of course, podcast host rivals. We are writing rivals, blogging rivals. We are Twitter rivals. We are actually within 20 followers of each other on Twitter. I won't tell you which one of us has more followers. It's me. Uh, but today we will show the world how to put our differences aside and come together for one insanely epic podcast. My guest today is none other than Peter Bukowski. Peter, welcome to the Pack-A-Day podcast. Well, that was great. See you next week, folks. <laughs> oh, perfect. See, I told you we could put our differences aside. <laughs> no, it is very good to be here uh, to discuss a uh, an impressive, I would say, Green Bay Packer win. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thanks so much again for having me on your show. The Lockdown Packers podcast had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, So glad to have you on today and kind of break down the game. Before we do so, I want to give the opportunity for you to kind of tell your story, how you got involved in writing, kind of where your Packers uh, passion came from. And uh, yeah, just a little bit more about you. Well, I don't want to waste too much time on that, but uh, what I will say is um, I grew up in Milwaukee, uh, although I don't live there anymore. Um, Family, season ticket holders, still season ticket holders, although I don't get to go as many games as I would like. Uh, I started writing about the Packers in the infancy of Bleacher Report. I was in their first class of featured columnists uh, many unfortunately many years ago um, now because I'm I'm old and washed, but um, and then I was at Sports Illustrated for a couple of years. And then for the last few years, I've been freelancing Acme Packing Company, which is the Packers SB Nation blog. If you're not already reading it, you should be. SB Nation, big site and uh, Pro Football Weekly. Yeah, every all over the Internet is what I say on the podcast. And this is my second year hosting uh, the Locked on Packers podcast the number one daily Packers podcast. <laughs> it is a fantastic podcast and uh, <laughs> you, know, you do a phenomenal job over there. And like you said, you're kind of all over the internet and pretty much everything you write, especially uh, I was going to point this out later, but I want to even touch base on it now. I thought the article you did for Up Rocks in kind of the women in media was a really fantastic article as well. Wanted to plug that later, but I'm going to just jump into it right now. I thought it was a really fantastic read and really appreciated the work you put into that. Thanks. That was a, a really a really interesting thing to report and and get to get to talk to so many uh, awesome women in the industry and hear the stories that they have um, was I think really insightful for me as as a man in the industry. Obviously, I don't I don't have those experiences and and I can only hope to listen and and try and help make um, you know their future experiences better and and um, you know I think that's that's sort of our role here. So uh, what do you say we get into the game? Yeah, that sounds perfect. So I'm just going to kind of do a quick recap. Uh, the Dolphins really drive down at the opening start of the game. They self-destruct with a, a failed exchange from center to quarterback. Packers followed it up with a 70-yard touchdown drive. Uh, Aaron Jones really led the way with four plays for 54 yards, two rushes, two receptions, and it was capped off with a Devontae Adams touchdown. Dolphins punted. Looks like Green Bay was going to be in a great position, but then we had the fumble by Tremont Williams, which led to a Miami field goal. And then we had the three-play 71-yard drive completed all by Aaron Jones. He had the 67-yard run and then a couple of two-yard rushes, including the touchdown to cap it off. Miami responded quickly with a field goal, and at that point it was 14-6 to Packers. Green Bay then turned it over on downs. A little bit of an interesting decision on fourth down there. Uh, depending on who you ask, the strategy was either great or just poor execution, but uh, maybe we'll jump into that a little bit later. Miami followed that up with a field goal to make it 14 to nine green Bay punted. And then it was the end of the half. Uh, Miami kind of ran out the clock to end the half there. Open up the second half green Bay went three and out and uh, ended up with a blocked punt. Miami got a field goal and really it was a great stand for the Packers on defense on a quick change of possession, uh, 14 to 12 at that point. And then I thought really the drive of the game because Miami had definitely had some momentum at this point. And it was a five play 60 yard drive, but it was a third and two that really, I thought really kind of changed this game. It was a 30 yard catch and run by Mercedes Lewis and a couple plays later, a 10 yard touchdown run by Aaron Jones to make it 21 to 12. 
Two plays later, Bashad Breland had the interception, and it was capped off then by a 25-yard touchdown to Devontae Adams, which made it 28-12, to and really it was kind of all she wrote from there. Miami punted, Packers got a field goal, Miami turned it over on downs, and then Green Bay was eventually able to run out the clock. Big kind of takeaways from the game at that point for you, Peter. Well, I think, uh, you know, this was th- this was an opportunity, and I, I said this on my show, and I'll, uh, this, that'll be the only time that I'll say that, uh, or at least I'll try to be the only time that I say that. But I felt like this was an opportunity for Green Bay's defense to step forward. And I understand that the offense has been, uh, you know, a question mark, and there's been inconsistencies. But uh, I thought this was an opportunity for Green Bay's defense to, to overpower an inferior team and especially a team missing their top two offensive tackles and their their best guard and then on the first drive they basically get blown off the ball every play uh they don't look very good and frankly got a gift with the Brock Osweiler fumble right but yep. after that as you mentioned there was the quick change they 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 keep the dolphins out of the end zone despite uh, the fumble with the short fa- the short field, the Dolphins faked a punt and were able to uh, sustain a drive that way. But Green Bay w- was not deterred defensively. And I think that was really uh, important for them because they've been dealing with injuries, continue to deal with injuries in this game. Jair Alexander left the game briefly. Apparently he's okay. Bashad Breeland left the game. Uh, so, you know, I, this defense, I think, there are going to be questions moving forward. Can, can Kevin King turn around and play against Seattle? But that, more than anything to me, was the big takeaway from this game, aside from the obvious, which was clearly Aaron Jones getting the work that that he so desperately needed to be getting. Um, you know, 15 carries, 145 yards, but then, you know, was also a, a part of the passing game. Three catches, 27 yards in five targets. So, when you look at you know what Green Bay wanted to do, 15 carries, five targets, 20 seems like the magic number to me to try and get him involved 15 to 20 times. They intended to get him involved 20 times in this game, and and that was uh, you know you know a successful game plan for them. This is this is not difficult to me. I wrote about this for Acme Packing Company last week. Get the ball to Aaron Jones. Get the ball to Devontae Adams, and Aaron Rodgers needs to play a little bit better. And this offense is going to be fine. And they were four for four in the red zone. You have the field goal to really put the game on ice. This was the kind of game that they needed in a must win situation. Yeah, I agree with a ton of different points that you mentioned there. I think the big thing was the defensive performance. Like you mentioned, uh, you know, Brock Osweiler starting, they're down three starting offensive linemen and just really banged up Miami team coming into Green Bay. Miami struggled on the road. The Packers, as you know, as much as they've, as they've struggled, they've been really great at home this season. And uh, this was an opportunity for their defense to show out again. And certainly field goals weren't going to beat them. And allowing four field goals, you know, it was certainly acceptable. They finally got, you know, a couple turnovers, like you said, one was definitely a gift, but then Breland had the big pick, which really set up the Packers in plus position, and they were able to score a touchdown from there. I think just some of those things coming together uh, was really a bright side for the, the Packers in this game. But I really go back to a moment in this game, and I kind of touched base on it with the Mercedes Lewis play. But when the, the Dolphins blocked the Packers punt to start the second half, the, the Packers went three and out, blocked punt. It was 14 to nine at that point. And the Dolphins got mm. the ball first and 10 on the 28 yard line of the Packers. 
And to me, this game at that point could have gone in a hundred different directions. And the defense did a phenomenal job of holding the Dolphins three and out and 14 plays later in this next stretch of 14 plays from the block punt forward, the Packers took a 28 to 12 lead. And that was really this, first of all, the strength of the defense with the Packers holding three and out and forcing the field goal. Then, as I mentioned, that Mercedes Lewis uh, 30-yard catch on third down, which led to a touchdown. Two plays later was the interception. Then three plays later was the Devontae Adams 25-yard touchdown. So this game swung in a very, very quick period of time where it looked like in a couple scenarios, either when they got the block punt or on that third and two, if they were able to not allow Mercedes Lewis to get that big catch and hold the Packers three and out again. Again, a couple big momentum-changing plays. Instead, Green Bay took control, and, and they really never looked back from that point forward. Yeah, and that and that third and two play that that you referenced, uh, you know, the getting Mercedes Lewis open in space. I've been waiting all season for them to find ways to use him. I thought it was really smart in this game, and, and we haven't discussed it yet. But with the injuries at receiver, Green Bay went with Geronimo Allison and Randall Cobb, or they were without Geronimo Allison and Randall Cobb for this game. And so with really just Devontae Adams and Marquez Valdez-Scantling as receivers they trust, and maybe you you can throw Equinemia St. Brown in there if you want, but Greenblade played a ton of two tight ends in this game. They played three tight ends a couple times. And so that allowed Mike McCarthy to get to some different kinds of play action and to get uh, his tight ends free down the field. And, and Rodgers found all three of them that played at various points. This was not a heavy Jimmy Graham game in terms of the passing game, but he actually, and this is, this is going to shock some people. He had a couple nice blocks um, in the run game. And, you know, I think those are the kind of opportunities I've been waiting to see. I've been, I've been really advocating for Mercedes Lewis to become a bigger part of this offense because of what his blocking can be. But we saw on that play, give him the ball in some space and he can go make a play. And he's 6'6", 260. No one wants to tackle that guy. <laughs> so I, I felt like this was a, a, one of, it, it was, I, I talk about get right games all the time. And I felt like this was an opportunity on both sides of the ball for Green Bay. I think in some ways this was a get-right game for Mike McCarthy because he gave the ball to Aaron Jones a bunch. Now, there was the one drive that ended in the turnover on downs that you referenced where Jamal Williams inexplicably got an entire series. And I just I, I just want to throw this at you, Andy, because this is this is very disconcerting for me. Most teams, offensively, they rotate their running backs – based on situation, based on the play call. And yet Green Bay seems to insist on only rotating their backs on a consistent basis anyway, by series. And I don't understand why they feel that's necessary. It goes against what Mike McCarthy says about the hot hand, because if there's really a hot hand formula here, Jamal Williams never gets in the game, basically. That's how that's how well Aaron Jones played. I mean, he averaged almost 10 yards a carry. So, uh, but I don't, I don't understand why they feel it's necessary to have this rotation be by series. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And of course, Jamal Williams, three carries for three yards. And, you know, I thought Jamal Williams had a really nice game last week. And there's things that Jamal Williams does well. But as you mentioned, when somebody has the hot hand, when Aaron Jones is running this incredibly well, you know, you kind of mentioned at the open that they finally got him involved, 15 carries, and then five targets in the passing game. 
but I felt they even probably could have featured him a little bit more. Uh, the passing game wasn't always, you know, completely on all cylinders in this game by any stretch of the imagination. But when you've got Aaron Jones rushing 15 times for 145 yards, I mean, it was it's, a, it's basically 10 yards a carry or at minimum 10 yards a touch, you know, when uh, he's had the ball. So I just, I was left even wanting a little bit more of Aaron Jones. When he touched the ball, good things continued to happen. And that's been a trend throughout this season so far and really even going back to last year. Yeah, and I, I know that it's hard to grade these things in real time and you'll go back and watch the film and you'll do the grades. But but just in real time as I was watching, I only had two unsuccessful runs for Aaron Jones in his 15 carries. He had the the one in the backfield that was a loss and then I think he only picked up two or three on another run later in the game. But I mean this for the whole first half basically, every time he touched the ball, he was picking up double digits. I mean it was really remarkable to watch it happen and there was one play and I don't know if you noticed this, but the the I, I believe it was the second touchdown. Aaron Rodgers got up and quick snapped the Dolphins. And usually you get under center and he sits in there and he calls out the signal and he, and he is, you know, this is, this is something that Packers fans complain about constantly running the game clock down, right? The play clock down to, you know, zero or one. Well, he got right up under center, quick snapped it, and no one touches Aaron Jones until he crosses the goal line. Yep. It was a 10 yard run. Equinemius St. Brown is looking for someone to block and there's no one there. Yeah, that's a that's a great catch on your end. And in fact, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe uh, any unnecessary timeouts were used. I don't believe there were any delay nope. of games either. So that was something that they got cleaned up this week as and well. And they got the free play, which is something yeah. they have not been able to do uh, in the last couple of weeks. Yep, weren't able to take advantage of it, unfortunately, but still got the five yards, and it certainly helped them in that situation. Great stuff. All right, so let's take a look. I know we kind of touched base on maybe a couple of these players already, but who are some of your offensive and defensive MVPs from this game? Well, I mean, I I, I think the clear MVP is Aaron Jones, right? And so I think for the sake of making this discussion uh, interesting, let me set him aside for just a second, and I am going to go with Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Okay. Six catches, 44 yards. I know Devontae Adams had the two touchdowns, but he's tied for the team lead in targets. He made a couple great plays on shoestring catches, and it is clear to me that this offense functions the way that it does because Aaron Rodgers trusts him more than he would most rookie receivers, and I think probably it, it's fair to even say that he he already trusts MVS more than he did Devontae Adams as a rookie because his hands are just better. He's a more consistent catcher of the football than Devontae was early in his career, and I'm not saying he's going to turn into Adams, but I think having that security blanket in a game where you're down two of your top three receivers, I think that was essential in this game. The, the Aaron Jones stuff, isn't surprising to me. He is who I expected him to be when he actually gets carries. I continue to be impressed by what I see out of Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And then on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, I think Josh Jackson really struggled. Uh, this is, I think, probably his worst game as a Packer. Um, you know, that's a, it's a small sample size to be sure. He struggled against the Lions as well. And it's pretty clear to me he's pretty far behind Jair Alexander, uh, who led the team in pass breakups once again uh, as a man corner. But I want to shout out a couple guys defensively. Number one, Josh Jones, who played linebacker. He played some safety, played all over. 
and just don't be terrible, right? Like, I think that is what the Packers need from the safety position. Just don't kill this defense. He made a couple nice tackles in the open field. He set the edge a couple times. Mike Pettin likes to blitz him off the edge, which I think is really interesting. Uh, and so I was really, I was really happy with his play. And then Kyler Fackrell, the sack he had was on a vicious spin move, just destroyed the backup left tackle. He had a couple plays in coverage. Andy, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Kyler Fackrell has quietly been a solid contributor at times for the Green Bay Packers as a rotation linebacker. That is not something I ever expected to be saying about this kid now or ever. Uh, as my rival, I'm supposed to disagree with you on everything, and you're making it very, very difficult because <laughs> um, I couldn't agree more with all the things that you just mentioned. I want to touch on a couple of them in a little bit more detail. So Marquez Valdez-Scantling, when you touched base on earlier how I go back and break down the game, I thought two weeks ago uh, against the Patriots, uh, I thought he was absolutely fantastic, you know, made three really big catches in that game. And he's really starting to draw coverage, uh, some double teams as he gets down the field and he's starting to open things up. I thought today, as you mentioned, he made, you know, there was that one catch that was just the, you know, really fingertip catch where Rogers under threw it a little bit. And as you mentioned, just Rogers is gaining more and more trust with him and he's just doing the simpler stuff. Well, yeah, earlier in the year he was making some of the big plays, but these last couple of weeks, now he's making the routine stuff. And, you know, maybe that, you know, those big plays aren't going to come quite as often because teams are going to pay him a little bit more attention. Well, then you got to do the little things. And I thought he did that today as well. And then Kyler Fackrell, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I actually said on Twitter, I'm like, you know, at this point, it's not a joke anymore. Kyler Fackrell has been the best edge rusher or edge player for the Packers this season. Now he's aided by the fact that, you know, he's playing less snaps than, you know, maybe Perry and Matthews. And maybe if it were, uh, you know, Fackrell that had to play 50 snaps and, you know, Clay could only go in for 20 to 25, maybe it would switch a little bit, but he has been a solid contributor. And yeah, you probably don't want him starting or playing 50 snaps a game, but when you can get him in that 20 to 25 snap a game range, he has shown consistent consistently throughout the season that he can be a solid contributor and really I think I may be wrong on this but I think maybe lead the team in sacks at this point no I think you're right about that when when Kevin Harlan the announcer for the game said the number I was actually legitimately shocked it was so high but then I remembered he had the multi-sack game he had the um it really just he beat Andrew Whitworth cold in the Rams game which people don't do. It's, it's very, no. Rare. <laughs> and, and let me just, let me just shout out a couple other guys for so, some smaller contributions. Uh, but Montrevious Adams had a sack in this game um, on a, on a effort play. And I think, you know, with Muhammad Wilkerson going down, he's going to get some more opportunities. And then with all the injuries that green Bay had, Tony Brown had to come in the rookie undrafted free agent from Alabama, who's got incredible physical gifts and we haven't really seen him since the unsportsmanlike uh, conduct penalty against Detroit. But he comes in. He has a great pass breakup. His speed, I think, shows up pretty consistently. And I don't know what he is as a player. I thought coming out that he should be a safety, not a corner. And, and I'm, I'm not going to back off that. But he has been better in coverage than I thought he would be. Uh, for a team that last year and, and the year before looked absolutely dead, at the cornerback position, they suddenly look like they have guys everywhere who can come in and compete. And I wonder, you know, if Kevin King continues to have these injury problems. And let's say the Packers who, and I don't know if you caught this, 
because I mentioned this to some of my colleagues at APC and they hadn't caught it either. But Chris Collinsworth on the telecast last week said the Packers think Josh Jackson is a, could be a safety. Yeah, and, I did catch that. Yeah, absolutely. And so if if they think he's a safety, maybe the Packers make an effort to re-sign a player like Bashad Breland, and the Packers suddenly have a deep cadre of playmakers uh, at a position where last year and the year before it looked like they didn't have anybody. Yeah, and I, I really like what Tony Brown's put on tape, and I thought he showed it again. I was really happy that they didn't make the gut decision to maybe cut him loose after a couple of questionable plays, which were really questionable both from a penalty standpoint and then you know both from just a mental standpoint. But I really liked what I've seen out of him in coverage. And then in regards that unsportsman like was garbage. You can the just first say one that. was that was sure. terrible. And, yeah, absolutely. And then the second one, even it looked like he was probably still in bounds, but probably unnecessary. But either way, happy that they kept him. I think he potentially has a future for this team as well. He has a little bit of that junkyard dog mentality as well mm-hmm. that helps on special teams too. So really like what I've seen out of him. And uh, yeah, I, as far as Josh Jackson at safety, and you mentioned earlier, and I was going to touch on this in a little bit about how he struggled today. He had a couple penalties, couple missed tackles. He was beaten one-on-one coverage on multiple occasions. He had the offsides on the field goal block or the extra point block, one of the two, I forget which one it was, but he had a rough day. But to his defense, to me, he is playing his worst possible position as defensive back right now at the nickel corner position. To me, he is either an outside corner or a safety and not a nickel back in any way, shape or form. So I think they're doing him a little bit of disservice and he's trying to kind of hold his own as best as he can kind of playing out of position. Yeah. And they played Bashad Breeland a little bit more in the slot this week. Uh, to your point, I mean, I was, I was very surprised early in the season when they had him playing in the slot and they had Jair Alexander playing outside. Uh, I, I think Mike Patton likes the flexibility there. I think he likes to be able to throw different matchups at different guys. And I think that's smart. I mean, Mike Patton in, in his press conference after the Rams game said, I don't like to match up my corners on opposing receivers because it makes it makes us very predictable as a defense. And that was, I I thought that was such an insightful comment because I hadn't thought of it that way. I was like, just put Jair Alexander on whoever and and let him, uh, you know, just, you got that dude today, follow him from the time he gets out of his car until he gets back in at the end of the day. But Mike Patton doesn't want to do that because then the quarterback knows the coverage. And unless you're going to play him like Charles Woodson, where you're just going to say, okay, this, you've got this guy all day, and then we're going to do all kinds of stuff behind us. I mean, maybe Mike Patton will be willing to do that, but I don't, I don't think that's something that they're going to put on Alexander at this point for as much as I think he has played at a, an extremely high level. And, and I think the sky's the limit for him. Um, you know, I, I think they need to find the right position for Josh Jackson, but also remember this is a guy who with one year of collegiate experience uh, and he played outside corner in a in a predominantly zone scheme. True, being a man to man corner in the NFL is very different, and I, I don't know at this point that he's ideally suited to it. I'm not surprised that someone like Tony Brown, who played a lot of man coverage at Alabama, is might be a little bit even further ahead than Jackson, despite the difference in their draft pedigree. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, before we kind of move on from some of the, you know, MVPs and some people who struggled, I did want to touch base. I thought uh, Michael Cohen from The Athletic, who also has a rival podcast. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I thought this isn't daily though. So they, no, we'll just put him in a different category. Yeah, for sure. But he does a great job for The Athletic. He got a great quote from Byron Bell on Aaron Jones today. Uh, Byron Bell said, man, listen, I was telling Aaron this week, I played with D'Angelo Williams. I played with Jonathan Stewart. I played with Zeke Elliott. I played with DeMarco Murray. Out of all those running backs, him and Zeke, no disrespect to none of the other guys because those are some great backs I played with too. But him and Zeke Elliott are probably the two best backs I've ever seen with patience to just hit it, you know. 33 is going to be a great back in this league for a long, long time. So I thought that was a great quote from Byron Bell. Wow. That that is high praise, but but listen, when you go back and you look at the numbers from last year, and Football Outsiders, you know they they have some really awesome stats. If you're unfamiliar, go get familiar with them, Andy. I know you are familiar with them, but by um, by DVOA and DYAR, which is defense adjusted yards above replacement, so you can think of it sort of like um, what what they say in is WAR in baseball, similar. Um, we don't have to get into the the math or how they calculate it, but basically, uh, he didn't. Aaron Jones didn't have enough carries to qualify for the season, but if he had, he would have had the second best figure in football last year, only behind Alvin Kamara. That means ahead of Zeke Elliott, ahead of Kareem Hunt and Le'Veon Bell, and all of the great backs that are in the league on a per carry basis, efficiency wise, and a- adjusted for opponent, even without Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Jones was a huge problem for defenses. And if he can stay healthy, I mean, I don't think it's unfair to talk about Aaron Jones as being the, having the potential to be the best Packers running back since Amon Green. Yep. Yep. hundred percent agree. He's just an absolute stud and, and more than anything, whether, you know, however many carries he gets, I think that always dominates the conversation, which at times it very much should, but he is just an absolute joy to watch at running back. And he just, every time he touches the ball, you expect something good to happen at this point. One last shout out, Raven green had the near interception, Mm. the red zone, nice playing the ball there. He had the sack. It was unblocked, but he finished it off in a nice way. It was sounding coverage. Then he had the fake punt run for 26 yards, a player that was not expected to play in this game and uh, you know a few weeks ago just absolutely buried on the depth chart you figure haha clinton Dix and josh jones and jermaine whitehead and who am i missing i'm missing like two more now tremont williams and i feel like there's one more i'm missing but either way he was absolutely buried on the depth chart and now he's uh getting playing time this week uh when kentrell bryce that's who i was missing when kentrell bryce went down uh, he got in the game and played i thought really nice game yeah, he did. And and I just I'm I'm sorry that this is a stream of consciousness thing, but I'm just looking at the numbers. If I had told you going into this game that the Packers would average more yards per rush than they would per passing attempt, you would not have predicted the Packers would have scored 31 points and won by three scores. I don't think. No, no, not at all. And, you know, teams have been daring the Packers to consistently run the ball a little bit. Well, today they, you know, they obliged and they gave it to Aaron Jones more and and they took advantage and, you know, again, almost 10 yards per carry for Aaron Jones. And six of those carries are are Roger scrambles. So, you know, it's not, it's not like it was in the game plan for that, but 25 carries for a buck 95 compared to 28 attempts for 199 yards. Uh, 182 after sacks, but that, I mean, that is, it's pretty incredible that this game was almost 50, 50 
And, I, you know, I, I, there, this was a team that was, they had the worst run pass differential in the red zone, the second worst run pass differential in terms of balance in the league coming into this week, um, according to Smart Football, um, throwing it almost 68% of the time. And if they can get, they don't have to be 50 50, but if they can get closer to 60 40 and Aaron Jones is getting those carries, I mean, just think about what that opens up for this offense play action wise and and everything that it does keeping them on schedule if they're able to run it i mean if you can get four or five yards on first down you don't have to worry about third and long where right now aaron Rodgers is leading the league in yards per attempt on third down averaging over 10 yards an attempt on third down aaron Rodgers is yeah for sure it's they showed better balance today and they got the points that they needed out of it so hopefully they can continue to do that going forward uh that's probably a great segue into a quick take on aaron Rodgers' performance today 19 of 28 199 yards two touchdowns no picks you know no big turnovers of any sort but under 200 yards what were your thoughts on his overall performance today you know i think we have to take some of this stuff with a little bit of a grain of salt you know, remember he's playing with Devontae Adams and two rookie receivers, basically uh, three rookie receivers, but Jamon Moore, you know, I'm not sure he even counts at this point. Um, and and basically all new tight ends. Yeah. And his accuracy, that is not to say that we should not take his accuracy problems and be critical of them because after last week, he was in the top five, according to ESPN stats and info, in terms of um, least accurate throwers in the league, in terms of number percentage of passes that are off target. And it's basically, you know, a group of rookies, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. It's very bizarre that that is the list, but that is the list. And and Josh Allen isn't on it anymore. I think only because he hasn't been playing, frankly. Um, But it's, I think it's actually Mitch Trubisky, uh, Sam Darnold, um, and then it's then it's the 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 two Josh veterans Rosen. and yeah and Josh Rosen. But the the point is Rodgers has not been as accurate as we come to expect from him. He had a big play opportunity to Marquez Valdez Scantling and threw it inside. He had EQ running down the left sideline, underthrew it, and, and and those are just not throws that we're used to seeing him make like that. He's I don't know if it's the injury or if he's just sort of trying to get back on track here. So much of this offense, and I had this conversation with Doug Farrar a couple weeks back, he talked about this offense as a ballet. And when you're when you're doing a dance, everyone needs to be working in concert together or it's just not going to work. And so when you have a quarterback who can't practice and you've got rookies who are not quite as consistent running the routes exactly as they need to be every time and are not always exactly where Aaron Rodgers is expecting them to be. There are going to be times when he's going to miss throws because guys aren't where they should be. He's not as crisp as he should be. But he also missed Devontae Adams by a country mile twice where it seemed like they were not on the same page. Those kinds of things really shouldn't be happening in this game or any game. Those guys should be able to be on the same page. And I just don't know what to make of it for Aaron Rodgers anymore. And and I'll go back to something that I've been saying, and Pete Doherty wrote about it uh, for the Green Bay Press-Gazette this week. I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is comfortable and confident in this offense or the play call. And it doesn't seem like he is. I think he's lost whatever faith he had in Mike McCarthy's offense. I think he has lost a lot of it. 
I think that's why he resorts to the backyard stuff often. It's why I think he can be slow to pull the trigger. As Doug Farrar said to me, Aaron Rodgers doesn't miss reads. He chooses to, to not throw the ball or not do the thing that he does. He knows everything in this offense inside and out, and he chooses not to do it. What he doesn't choose to do is make inaccurate throws. And, and that can't be attributed to his, you know, not lack of confidence in this offense. It's very strange to me. What are you seeing? Yeah, I, I agree. And I've said for a couple of weeks now, I think, you know, that really easy scapegoat answer for me is that the offense doesn't always seem in rhythm. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers ever really sees, seems in rhythm. If I'm going a little bit deeper than that, I think the year that Jordy Nelson went out and they brought in James jo- Jones back and they didn't have a deep threat. I think that was the year that kind of started this whole thing and to a minor extent broke Aaron Rodgers a little bit because teams started playing him a lot different. They played to keep him in the pocket. They played a lot more press man to man. They played more single high safety and the receivers couldn't get off of anything. And he had to make everything happen on his own. And he just didn't have a receiver at that time in that season that could win and with any sort of consistency. And I think he had to adjust the way he played that year to try to make plays on his own. He made a, you know, a ton of crazy plays outside of the pocket and having to dance around. And I think what happened is his eyes started watching the offensive line more and he got out of rhythm in what, what was a very rhythmic, you know, passing game that was very consistent on a week to week basis. They got out of that. And I think through, you know, over time, just little things have kind of devolved from there and it's just a little bit of a degree difference than what he used to play with in the past. I think he lost trust in the offense from that point forward. Green Bay tried to compensate and get a, you know, Jared Cook, a Martellus Bennett, and now a Jimmy Graham at tight end to try to help him out. They tried to get him some more speedy receivers. You know, obviously Devontae Adams is developed. Jordy Nelson came back before they let him go. But he just never fully regained, as you said, that faith in the offense. Teams were able to play him differently. And it just seems, just again, a degree off. And that that rhythm and that consistency just hasn't been there. And I go back to that point in time, and I think that's when teams started playing him differently. And I think that's when he started playing a little bit outside of the offense and a little bit outside of himself. Yeah, and don't forget, 2015, the injuries to that offensive line were considerable. Yep. Devontae Adams played most of that season hurt. Randall Cobb was in and out of the lineup. I mean, they had to go try and win games with Jared Boykin and Miles White. And and the crazy thing is they did it. Yep. And they also, Josh Sitton and TJ Lang, they don't live here anymore. And the Packers interior offensive line, Lane Taylor and Byron Bell are quality run blockers. They are not anywhere near what Josh Sitton and TJ Lang were as pass blockers. And the interior push in particular has been a problem for the Packers this year. The pass rush, Aaron Donald, you know, we saw what happened in LA a few weeks ago. Even David Bakhtiari, the last two weeks, I would say, has not been the same guy that we expect him to be. Robert Quinn abused him on that fourth down sack. Um, and, and there was another player earlier in the game. I mean, Robert Quinn was all over the field, disrupting the pocket. I think he had three QB hits, a sack and a half. And that's just, if you can't get David Bakhtiari to be the stud that he is on a consistent basis, that's going to create problems in the in the processing clock of Aaron Rodgers. Because as you said, he's going to be looking at the rush and he's going to be worried about, okay, what plays do I have to make now 
to make up for the fact that I don't trust this offensive line. I don't trust all of my receivers and I don't trust the head coach to make the necessary adjustments or call the right plays. This is something that Zach Cruz mentioned uh, on Twitter. It's something that I've talked about on my show as well. The scheme is something that has been discussed a lot this year. You've talked about it. You've written about it. It's not the scheme that I have a problem with. It's the play calling because the scheme has actually been remarkably interesting this year. And I think Mike McCarthy has done a pretty good job of revamping this offense and and introducing some new concepts, some new personnel groupings. It's been the deployment of those guys and the situations where those plays have been called that I have found troubling this season. And I think Aaron Rodgers is feeling the same way at a certain point, you know, winning masks, those things. So 2016, the run the table, I said at the time, and I still believe that that the run the table stretch saves Mike McCarthy's job, yeah. and it potentially set the Packers two years behind in finding a coach. If they if they move on after 2016 for Mike McCarthy, Kyle Shanahan could be running this offense. Yeah, that's a great point. And imagine even if Rodgers goes down in 2017. I mean, the 49ers just won a game with Nick Mullins at quarterback. I, I didn't make that up. That, that name, I didn't make that up, Andy. I swear to God, that is a real NFL player that 40% of our listeners had no idea existed until now, and 100% of your listeners didn't know existed before last Thursday night. So, you know, that is, is remarkable, and I think that that is telling, and, and maybe that changes. I don't think 31-12 to 12 against the Dolphins is going to change that. I don't I also don't think the offense is going to is going to ever be run the table this season but you know what we didn't think it was going to be in 2016 either no, you're totally right. And I think you brought up a great point. It's not just the scheme. It's the marriage of the scheme, the personnel, and the play calling. And all of it has to be on the same page. And I don't think any one of those is wrong. I think they have good personnel. I think at times the play calling is obviously very inconsistent. And I think the scheme is overall solid, but they've got to marry all three of those together. And to me, that's not what's happened so far. And that's where the issue lies. All right, taking a look ahead at the Seattle game, Vegas has Seattle early as a two-point favorite, which isn't a ton considering Seattle's at home and in the Packers on the road on a Thursday night game. Uh, road teams on Thursday night this year, not great, 2-8 and eight overall. Um, the Seahawks, of course, going into this game at 4-5. and five, They lost a really tough game to the Rams today, so hopefully they have a little bit of a hangover from that. Meanwhile, the Packers will go in at 4-4-1. Four, four and one. Uh, Peter, what are you looking for in this game in order for Green Bay to get a victory? Well, I'll say this. Winning Thursday is gravy. When you look at how their schedule, and I I know that's a cop-out, but (laughs) I really feel that way. I felt like coming into the season, this was going to be an extremely hard game. If this were a Sunday game, I would would be happy to break down all the X's and O's with you about what, what Seattle does and how Green Bay can attack them. On a short week, going two time zones, in the NBA, we talk all the time about schedule losses where it's like the third of, of, you know, third game in four nights or, you know, the second of a back-to-back when you, you're on the road or something like that. This feels like a schedule loss and has always felt like a schedule loss for the Packers. I'm not saying don't think the Packers can win. The Packers can absolutely win if they run the ball like they did on Sunday. But what, what I'm looking at right now, the season is at Minnesota and at Chicago. And if you win at Seattle – you give yourself a little bit more cushion when it comes to the playoff chase. But if if they beat Chicago and they beat Minnesota, 
there's a good chance that they get to nine wins. And if you sweep the Bears and you de facto sweep the Vikings, you go 1-0-1 against them, it's going to be tough for either one of those teams. And I don't know if you've looked at Minnesota's schedule lately, but it is brutal to close. Uh, The Packers have a really good chance of making the playoffs if they win those two games. Beating Seattle, to me, is gravy. Now, that doesn't mean they can't do it. They They have had Seattle's number. I don't know if it's karma or what, whatever, but since 2014, they've had Seattle's number. They, they, I mean, Aaron Rodgers got after Richard Sherman with James Jones in 2015, and we remember what happened in 2016 when they blew the doors off the Seahawks without Earl Thomas. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be a fun game, a fun matchup, and I don't think CenturyLink is the intimidating place to play it once was. I think that was always a little bit overrated. I just think those Seahawks teams were really freaking good and really good teams don't lose at home. But this Seattle team is not that team. And I think it's going to be, I mean, Vegas says two points. I think it's going to be a close game. It's going to come down to a field goal. And I mean, I don't know. I trust I trust Green Bay's kicker and I trust their offense a little bit more at this point. I think Green Bay can absolutely go in and get a win if they can if they can play with something closer to the balance that we saw on Sunday. Great points. I'm going to bring up my three keys just really quick. I think as you touch base on run the football, run it well, win the turnover battle, keep Russell Wilson in the pocket. I think if they can do those three things, they're going to put themselves in a great chance to win that football game. All right. We touched base on a lot of things today. Any final thoughts that you had? Well, I think, you know, as I mentioned at the start, Green Bay wanted, uh, they needed, they didn't want, they needed a game to bolster their confidence. They needed the, they needed self-belief and Aaron Rodgers can say whatever he wanted about, you know, we don't, we have confidence every time we take the field. We didn't need our confidence boosted by, by believing that, you know, we could beat the Rams. He said that after the Rams game, we think we can beat anybody. Well, actually beating anybody and not just anybody, a five and four team that even with Brock Osweiler beat the Chicago bears yep. uh, just a couple weeks ago. Uh, that's huge. And this is now their opportunity to build on that momentum. They needed this game. Now let's see how they can build on this game because really the the, the, the game is in two weeks and they get a mini buy. Just get out of this Seattle game healthy and give yourself a chance to go win in Minnesota because if they can do that and, and you know, if they win both, then I think you really can start talking about this team as putting on a, a second half run and, and being a legitimate contender in the NFC because this is something I've been saying all season outside of New Orleans and LA. Is there any team you're sure green Bay can't beat? And I'm not sure they can't beat those teams. We saw them almost beat LA. So I don't think Packer fans, and and I'm sure your listeners don't, um, but, but I'm sure that Packer fans should not feel like the season is lost by any means. It is still all out in front of them. And this is the kind of game they needed to prove to themselves more than anything else that they can be contenders in the NFC. Yep. You put it great earlier. It was a get right game in a lot of different ways. My last thought for, for uh, today, we saw Tremont Williams fumble on the punt return today. A couple of weeks ago, it was Ty Montgomery on the Mm. kick return this week, Trevor Davis coming back. I think he can be a big boost in the return game at minimum, hopefully avoid those turnovers at best. Maybe he can get a couple of really big returns, which Green Bay could desperately use to get the offense in some short down and distances. We saw what happened today when Breland could get the turnover and they were in the red zone really quick. They got the touchdown. Hopefully the return game can uh, you know, produce some of those results as well. 
All right, Peter, thank you so incredibly much for joining me. This was fantastic. Uh, for those of you who are, are not following him on Twitter, make sure to follow him on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski, B-U-K-O-W-S-K-I. You can, of course, listen to him on the Lockdown Packers podcast. You can find his writing on SB Nation, on Pro Football Weekly, and on Uproxx. Again, make sure to check out that article, Women in Sports on Uproxx. It is his pinned article on Twitter, so go look out at it there. And Peter, thanks again so much for joining me today. It was awesome. Thanks for having me, Andy. You bet. We'll talk again very, very soon. And I'm sure uh, we will agree and disagree on a lot of things on Twitter going forward. So make sure to be following both of us so you can get all of our takes. Uh, again, you can follow Peter at under, or Peter underscore Bukowski, me at Scani Sports. Um, if you're not already, make sure to follow the, us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. Make sure to listen in tomorrow as Matt Fralick and Janelle Mackey review more of this game as well as start getting you ready already for the short week uh, with Seattle and Green Bay coming up on Thursday. Thank you as always for listening. We're on to Seattle and go Pack Go. Osweiler steps back to an empty shotgun. Three receivers bunch right, two are split to the left. Backer showing blitz up the gut, snap over the head of Osweiler. It's up for grabs and recovered by Green Bay. Kenny Clark all over it at the 30 yard line of the Packers. Adams goes wide to the left. Offset eye in the backfield, Rogers straight back to throw, looks, left out of the end zone, diving grab, touchdown, Devontae Adams! Single back offense behind Aaron Rodgers, who ducks in under center. They get motion from St. Brown to the left side. From the 29 of Green Bay, and here's the handoff up the middle, big hole, straight ahead, here's Aaron Jones, off to the races, to the 20, to the 15, to the 10, down the left sideline, and he's out of bounds. Inside the 10 of the 5-yard line of Miami, Aaron Jones with a first, 67 yards. Jimmy Graham wide to the right side. Three receivers bunched tight on the left. Aaron Jones on the left side of the quarterback, Aaron Rodgers in shotgun. Hand off Jones, picks his way off the right side, fights for the goal line, and did he get in? Yes, he did. Touchdown. Second down and nine from the 27 of Miami. Osweiler play action, deep drop, throws left side, intercepted. Down the right sideline for Sean Breeland inside the 20, and he's forked out of bounds. Breeland with his first interception for the Packers. Single safety high Miami. Soft coverage on the corner, snap to Rodgers on second down at 25. Lost right side, Pat Adams at the 5, cuts it back, end zone, ice stepping, touchdown! Devontae Adams popped wide open, 26-yard touchdown catch, and it's 27-12 Green Bay.